Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Always grateful to all of you all who uh, check in every single week. New interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday release. So thanks for checking us out over and over again. If uh, if you're not subscribed, let me make it easy for you. Actually, if you're really into hearing artists talk about their work, if you're a music nerd, uh, this is a podcast for you. Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now, anywhere at all. But that also includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, even YouTube. If uh, if that's more your speed over there. There. And we'll do the heavy lifting for you with notifications for every uh, single new interview. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Lisa Loeb, one of the great all-time singer-songwriters, is back with a new record called A Simple Trick to Happiness. It's being billed as her first adult album in about six years. Uh, if you follow Lisa's career, she actually does a lot of children's albums, and for the past few, that's where she's kind of concentrated. So she's back with A Simple Trick to Happiness, and we're going to talk about how this record's, uh, as she'll tell you, a bit of a life examination, where she is these days. I point out to her that the uh, you know the first lyrics
lyric that we hear on this is, should I be happy? That really kind of sets a tone for a lot of ways that this could go. The piano also plays a bigger part than usual on this record, which begs the question, does that offer a different direction than what's usual for her own songwriting? We'll hear about the nostalgic feels that we get from the 70s vibes of some of the songs, the sardonic humor of a song like I Want to Go First, about uh, wanting to die before your loved one so you don't have to deal with the grief, as well as the importance of co-writing in her career. Then we'll turn that clock back in 1995. That was when Lisa Loeb and the Nine Stories released the album Tales. This, of course, the major label debut that came off the success of her song Stay from the Reality Bites soundtrack, a record that uh, spurned its own hit with Do You Sleep? So we're going to hear about that time in her life, how she celebrates that record, and how important was Do You Sleep to her career? A song that really proved that she was here and I am absolutely aware of the pun I'm about to make, to stay. So let's go ahead and get into it, talking about the new record, A Simple Trick to Happiness. It's Kyle Meredith with Lisa Loeb. Hey, it's Lisa Loeb calling. You're back with a new record called A Simple Trick to Happiness, which I absolutely love. And I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know I don't know the word I'm looking for here. I, I wrote down these songs are even more in the pocket than usual, which is not a question, and I think it's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But I don't like the part than usual. I'll agree. Like it's been a really big focus of mine over the last 25, 30 years. I mean, I've been writing songs since I was six years old mm-hmm. and songs with lyrics since I was in probably like eighth grade. And I, when I started off, I really wanted to hide my feelings and my actual personal experience from others. But at the same time, express it in some way, but hide the actuality, hide it back so that it was mysterious, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to a lot of mysterious music growing up, like Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Fear, and um, it, very abstract, not always knowing exactly what they're talking about, and that's what I wanted to do. But as I experienced more songwriting and more songwriters and worked with a few different people, I, I realized that the part I didn't like about some people's songwriting was that they wore, they wore their heart on their sleeve, and I felt like there was not a lot of in that. It was just like a journal entry. That being said, I've learned that, that my biggest goal is to write from where I am and still craft so that it's not just a journal entry. It's not anything close to a journal entry. It's still very, very personal. And that's my goal. And I feel like that's what I was able to do for this record was to really write things from where I am now. And it still has elements, hopefully, of things that are abstract and poetic enough where they really feel like a song and they sing like a song, but also where when people hear it, they know what I'm talking about. I play a lot of live concerts and I see people's immediate responses to certain songs and songs that they've known for a long time that are on my older albums. They really like them and they listen to them and they connect with them, but to play new songs where people can connect with them immediately, that's a goal of mine. That's something that in the moment when I'm performing live, it's, something that really it makes me feel like I've, I've succeeded as a songwriter well it, it definitely comes across all of that on here i mean the, when i first heard you know skeleton when i first heard this is my life and and i think you know to clarify my my the then usual line right there too it's you know it has been this is being billed as you know the first adult album in a, in a few years and and i and i know the yeah. last one even lullaby girl was sort of skirting the line that it could be for anybody but this is definitely and i think that's you know i don't connect to the children's songs you know in the same way that i would connect to these and i think that's what i mean by that because when i listen to skeleton yeah. and this is my life I can tell that you are talking about something very specific, regardless of if I know what it is, but I'm getting something from it really instantly. Well, that's exciting. I, I, I will say I've learned a lot from making children's music. I started collaborating 
probably a few albums before I made my kids' records. But in the past, I really wrote all of my music myself, which can be very pure and very direct and, and can have that air of mystery. And it literally is mysterious. I know exactly what I'm talking about. But, but I don't have to sit and talk about it with anyone while the, the lyrics are being created. With my kids' music, on purpose, I collaborated with other Some people who had done uh, kids' music more than I had. Other people I just really admired for what they brought to the table with lyrics and melody and, and just company. We enjoy hanging out together. But... The practice of sitting in a room and discussing what the topic is going to be and what's important to us and what message we want to send that might appear in a, in a story, like, like we wrote a song in my album, Feel What You Feel, uh, about school. And it's really meant to be an encouraging song about, you know, reminding kids they can do it. You can do it. You can, you can do this. This is a little complicated, but you can do it. You know, this might be a little daunting, but you can do it. And we were taking from... Um, the tradition of a lot of, of kids, storybook writers who who write at grown up level, but but things might appeal to to people in their own experiences. But anyway, having to sit in a room and figure out what you're going about definitely focuses a song. And so to take that and to put it into a grown up record where I can sit with writers that I want to work with and say, hey, you know what? I had this relationship in my life and. To me, it was so important. It was a friend, and it was so important, and it meant so much to me. But in retrospect, I don't know if they ever even really cared about me. Or, you know, and that's, that's something that just, like, finding the most emotional hotspots that still stick with you, even though, you know, there's, of course, bigger things like the way the world is going right now. But talking about your own personal emotion and your own personal stories, to be able to sit and focus and figure out, like, what, what am I talking about? How can I best express this? And all together, that kind of focus you get from collaborating with others, I think, translates into songs that um, are a little bit more focused and, you know, easier to understand. Again, hopefully not too simple, but just they, they communicate something. And with so many of these songs being piano-driven, I, I guess, does that lead you in a different direction than you would usually go with, with how you write the song? Oh, definitely. You know, it, when I was growing up, that was my first instrument was piano, like a lot of kids. I used to take two lessons a week, one for theory and one for, you know, classical reading and performing. And then I also got encouragement from my piano teacher to write instrumental music as well. My older brother's a classical pianist and a and he sort of... <laughs> away with it. I mean, he's, he's serious. Even when we were young, he was doing a lot of competitions and winning a lot of competitions. And piano is a lot louder than than uh, piano can be a lot louder than acoustic guitar. And uh, I was able to sort of tuck myself away into a room and quietly play guitar as a shy teenager, whereas the piano is usually out in the living room. So I sort of went into guitar as my main instrument. To play. Plus, a lot of the music I liked to listen to growing up was based in a in for an electric guitar like David Bowie and the police. But that being said, I still use the piano. Um, I, I still use it to write. And the people that I was writing with are even you know more accomplished on piano than I am. And it just has a different space. It has a very nostalgic, very sentimental place. It feels like you're in the heart. You know, I, I don't know what it is. And also, I think on this album, between the piano and also working with Rich Jack, who's a producer I work with a lot, we co-produce a lot of music together, it, it creates sort of a modern, it's just a little bit more modern. Like when I was growing up, I was very singer songwritery, and I still am. If you see me perform live, I've got my guitar, I'm strumming, I'm picking, I'm playing things, and I'm singing. But sometimes when you work with other instruments like piano, the pace that works well with piano, the space that works well with piano, or someone else playing guitar or ukulele or their instrument way that, that I normally wouldn't, it, it leaves a different space. And there's a different space for 
singing and for melody. And so we were really playing and it ended up becoming a very modern sounding record also because of it, even though it does have sort of a nostalgic piece, piano feels. You talk about that nostalgic piece. I mean, I listened to most of all, which has a great 70s feel to it. Those kind of moments pop up here and there. I don't know if that was on purpose or if if it's what you're saying. It It just kind of leads there. Yeah, we were definitely thinking about, I mean, we were thinking about a lot of things. There's certain newer that I listen to that I really love that, that, you know, we all, I mean, and you talk to most musicians and they love, there's just so much, again, it's, when you're a younger musician, it's all about like, look what I can play and look at, look at these guitar licks I'm playing and look how fast I can strum and how high I can. And, and I think a more experienced musician can say like, well, what makes this song? What works for this song? And most of all is a song that in the, they're kind of like verses. It feels almost like the bridge. There's a, a more open section. I just thinking of Elton John, Someone Saved My Life Tonight, mm-hmm. where the, there's these big touring, almost like voices that sound almost like violins. But it really does capture the song and the mo- and the feeling and the question I'm asking in the song, which is how is it out there in the song? Most of all, I go between singing very detailed lyrics of all these things that remind me of of someone. It's a, a non romantic kind of love song, and then we we flip to the the section how is it out, there, which is this big soaring, vast, open, very simple lyric and it gives you space to sort of bring in your memories and wonder where is this other person and how is it out there away from me you know um how is it out there and we're not together but but it is that thing where the drums are kind of the the guitar i mean if you really listen to musicianship it's it's way up there but it's also subtle when you take it you know a song like that or well, I'll say this, you know, as a listener, you listen to any record and you start to wonder about the, if the person's talking about their own life and you talk about this being a very personal record and everything. Uh, I mean, the album starts with the question, you know, should I be happy? Is yeah. this, is this a life, yeah, is this a life examination album for you? Is that how I can hear it? It is. I, I think it is a life examination album for me. I'm a, a woman in my grown-up ages. I've got young children. I've been a musician, a professional musician for you know, over 25 years, and I have a number of other businesses. I'm, a, you know, working um, who's a creative person who's going through things in my life, and I think this is what this is this is how I feel, and this is where I am, and and you know, I think it's on the head, it's on the head. It's it is. It's a it's a personal album. It's where I am. But like I said, I, I tour a lot. I'm out there a lot, and also with social media, I'm in touch with my fans and people a lot. And I feel like that's that's where our community is. That's you know, being able to tell that story. Other people want to hear that story. They have that story. We all have different versions of this story. And there's some kind of satisfaction and peace when you can even talk about things that are frustrating you or, or difficult. Well, it's also funny when you kind of flip that all on its head, too, because you can take a track like I, I, I Want to Go First, and, and that's a good bit of fun. Right. <laughs> yes, that one is sardonic. My parents, when they heard that song, they're like, they heard some early you know, early uh, mixes, and they said, you, you can't. They, they called me, they, they sounded very concerned. They're like, you're not going to put that song on <laughs> And they, they, I said, you know, I am, because it's a song, you know, it talks about all the different ways that you'd rather die then die first, then your other significant other dying for you. I don't want to die. I never want to die personally as me. I want to live till I'm a million years old because I love life and mm-hmm. it's ups and downs. But I explained to them, it's that, remember that feeling when you're in college or something where you were so love, you can't even imagine, or, or even, 
even not humorously. Like there's so many people in our lives that we love so deeply. It, it's kind of a, a, a that no one ever wants to die. But that being said, also style of the song is like I think of it as Edward Gorey. Like it's sardonic and it's it's got a sense of humor about it. I mean, of course you're not going to be eaten by zombies. Come on. <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I can't name another song uh, or many songs, at least off the top of my head, that kind of had that, that kind of playing on it. Uh, I think the closest was maybe There is a Light That Never Goes Out that sort of kind of strolls that line of death and love at the same time in that way. You know, it's, I loved it anyway. It's, it's a great song. I also want to hit really quickly just because I, I feel like, the, you know, the, the other two times you and I have talked over the years, we've thrown the anniversaries in. And this year is no exception where every year becomes an anniversary and uh, and the record tells turns 25 uh, this year, which is fun. I don't know. Do you take the moment to kind of celebrate that along the line at some point in the year? I know it's really not till September that it celebrates. Yeah, no, we, I love celebrating. I'm a very nostalgic person. And, you know, in some ways, so far back in the past and in other ways, they still feel very present to me. I remember writing those songs. I remember being in the studio. I remember conversations with the musicians and creating the album artwork and picking the exact right color and the green didn't match on the CD cover and the CD booklet because the CD booklet was uncoated paper. <laughs> we had a we had a CD tray that in only in Canada they were able to make it with sparkly pink plastic. Apparently in the U.S. they couldn't do it um, because it wouldn't ever work even though they did it in Canada. Um, but I remember everything about the album. And again, I get the bonus of being out there still playing those songs. They mean to me. They mean something to my fans. And so it's uh, exciting to celebrate that time and then also still be able to play a lot more current music and everything in between. With, you know, those songs, do you find that, you know, um, you know, whatever the topics were specifically from song to song on that record, writing about the same topics this, you know, nowadays, you know, this day and age or whatever, coming at that from different angles, is that really noticeable as you're as you're still songwriting? I think the big thing, again, to me is the ability to collaborate and to take myself out of sometimes what I would normally do. Like, I still, I still write a lot of very similar songs. I can't help it. It's just who I am. And I'm, and I'm writing all the time. And I, But what helps me most is with production and instrumentation and arrangement to try to figure out how to approach it differently or more simply. But often, you know, a lot of themes in our lives, it's what human life is about. A lot of, a lot of themes sort of come up over and over again. Again, there's, there's things that I try to touch on here and there, which are hard to do, like, you know, and, and, it, and it's easier to do a little bit more in the children's music world. I don't know why. I think it's just because it feels more, I don't know, it just feels like more of the right place to talk about things. I haven't written about the environment yet, but there's, you know, so many things, treating, there's so many things that I'd like to be able to touch upon in music because when I get out there and actually play live, there are situations in which it really demands that. Like, I did actually do one of those songs on my new record called Sing Out. It was a song that was written specifically for, um, a pride event in um, Nashville. I wanted to write a song about celebrating ourselves and being ourselves and being who you are. To me, it supports the LBGTQ community as well as humans, people being themselves and, and celebrating that. It's almost like a Zen practice. It's almost like a meditation practice. I write and, and, and the goal is to continue to bring myself to where I am. Songwriters, this a lot too. I, I, it's hard to teach people to write songs. I, I do think it's important to write from where you are and not try to be someone else and try to sound like someone else. So many themes all of us write about because that's the human experience. But your own personal take on it is the thing that makes it different. There's something, there has to be something about the way you are in your world and the way you see things and the way you relate to others that 
expresses your own personal experience and that makes it really unique and really different. So it's sort of have to return to that every time, every time I come back to the page and come back to the guitar. It's, it's like a Zen practice because it's, it can be really repetitive, but it, but it, to be able to try to get back to that same place, but understand where, what nuances, what things are slightly different and how to best express that through music and lyric is, uh, it's, it's a real challenge, but it's, it's exciting when you can, can strive for that. I would ask about one song on, on Tales, too, because, you know, Do You Sleep ends up, you know, becoming a great single off that as well. And I wonder, you know, coming off of Stay and, and all of the popularity and the history that we know of that song, did it feel like a relief? Did it feel like justification that, you know, I am more than one song when Do You Sleep does become its own sort of hit? Oh, my gosh. So exciting for Do You Sleep to become a huge hit. And what was especially exciting, Stay was exciting because it was a song I made independent before I was signed to any major label. We did it the way we wanted to. And it was a great seed for having confidence from the business world of music saying, oh, Lisa knows what she's doing. They did this independently and um, they know they know what their music should sound like. They don't need to be sort of controlled by the major label. Sound like Do You Sleep was actually written way before Stay. Wow. Do You Sleep was written in college. And I used to perform it with my friend Elizabeth Mitchell and our band Liz and Lisa at Brown University. So to me, I had always wanted it to be on a major label album, and I actually got signed to a major label and got to put it on tail. But that also meant a lot to me, knowing that this this thing I had been doing for such a long time and that I wanted to do when I grow up, be a musician, I was already doing it. And this was, you know, song. And it was actually funny to hear people say, you've grown so much in your songwriting. <laughs> the song Stay, I was like, yeah, except I wrote it like six years before I wrote Stay. But or you know, three or four years before I wrote Stay. But it was funny that that was, um, that that became, it wasn't funny, it was very exciting that that became also a, a popular song. Well, it still sounds great today. That album does. The stuff in between. I love the new record, Simple, A Simple Trick to Happiness. Uh, it's been, you know, it's always fun following your career. So I thank you for the, uh, the new music, and especially I thank you for the conversation today, Lisa. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you around. Awesome. Thank you. Maybe we'll see you in Louisville one day. Absolutely. Come on by. I would love that. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. My thanks, Lisa Loeb. The new record is called A Simple Trick to Happiness. And this September is when the uh, album Tales turns 25. But don't let me stop you from celebrating now. Now, Lisa and I have talked to you a couple times in the past, so I'm going to include those interviews here as well. Uh, this one is from 2017, talking about the record Lullaby Girl. Now, she had originally planned to record just a, a new children's bedtime record, but with the opportunity provided from a, a collaboration with pianist Larry Goldings, Lullaby Girl became much more than something just for the wee ones. We got to talk about how the LP turned into a concept record full of gorgeous covers and a pair of new originals. And we also got to discuss the 20th anniversary of her Firecracker album and the story behind its hit, I Do. Part two of Kyle Meredith with Lisa Loeb. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Beautiful new record. I, I really do love it's it's Lullaby Girl. This um I guess you'd call it a concept record, right? Yes, it is a concept record. It was um it's kind of a follow up to well, it was supposed to be a follow up to my nursery rhyme parade album that I made with Amazon. And I, I made a record after that which was um Feel What You Feel, which is a collection of original family friendly songs. Mostly originals. There's one cover song on there. But after that Amazon asked if I would do a lullaby record and I think what they had in mind was something that felt a lot like my nursery rhyme record, which I really enjoyed making. It was a, it's a record that 
it's very simple and you know it almost sounds like I'm uh, a mom in a room singing to a kid mm-hmm. <laughs> with just a handful of instruments selected instruments per track and a little bit of harmony but um instead once we got into making the record this new record we sort of went a different direction we decided to start doing cover songs we we started playing around with ideas for for songs we could include on an, on a lullaby record and I'm working with Larry Goldings and Rich Jacks on the record and Larry's a, an amazing jazz pianist, and we've worked together to do a standard or two, and we keep wanting to work together to do more standards. So when it came to this record, we realized, wait a minute, we could we could kind of cover all of our bases. So we started putting Dream a Little Dream and songs that fit thematically, and we ended up doing songs from a bunch of different eras um, that fit well thematically with the concept of lullaby, but it's not exactly your baby record. No, this is a, this is a record that... Uh... I put on sort of thinking because of the title and everything that it was going to be one of, you know, more, more towards the kid album things, but no, it's not. I mean, my, I'm sure my kids would love this. My, my kid is 10. I, I don't know if he will let me play him anything at this point, but, 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 but I certainly like, I've listened to this record a bunch. It, it become more than just a kid's record instantly, which is kind of an interesting trick that you just pulled off with all of this. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm mean, really excited about it because it really is that kind of record that it's not just for kids. It's, it's, it really isn't for kids. I, I said this before um, in some interviews, but I, I think it's a good image, which is when you go to the restaurant with your kids, it's, it's a restaurant without a kid's menu, yeah. you know, but I think the kids are going to uh, be able to eat some of the food. They're going to enjoy it also. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's not chicken fingers and mac and cheese. It's, right. it's just real it's real music, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, the interesting thing about it is all these songs do work as lullabies, and I would have never thought of some of these in that context. I mean, you know, when you first hear Be My Baby, and I go, oh, right. But, yeah. I mean, and lots of them sort of make sense, but I tell you, Don't Stop is the one that really caught me off guard. Like, I never would have considered that one in this context. You know, I agree with you, and I wasn't, I, I actually wasn't super open to doing that song when my collaborator suggested it. Rich Jack said, you know what, we're talking about songs about dreaming, and we had already, um, Larry and I years ago had started working on that, well, that, that waltz sort of version of The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. We took something that's normally more of a, a big march, and we turned it into a, a 3-4 kind of lullaby waltz thing, and um, our collaborator Rich was like, you know what, we should do Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow, and that song is always, some Fleetwood Mac songs I love, but other ones kind of scare me a little bit. And um, that song, I don't know, I was just like, uh, I don't know about that song. But once we started working on it, it did take on a whole new life. It, it's interesting, too, because it gets to the core of the theme of the song, which doesn't necessarily have to be about a relationship, you know, a romantic relationship. It can really be about life and about, you know, tomorrow's a new day and and we can put the past behind us and move till tomorrow. And that's a really positive message for anybody, really. Yeah, especially, you know, for a song that I think all of us have heard more times than we can count. I mean, this is one of the most popular songs in history when you talk about, you know, radio airplay and, and, and music videos and all of that. And to find a way to give it a fresh listen, I mean, that's nearly an impossible task. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. It is, it's definitely one of those experiences even for me, where it takes a minute to figure out, like, wait, what, what song is this? And then you get to the chorus, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Were there any other songs that was particularly challenge, challenging in, the, in that sort of way? I think it was more exciting than challenging. Like, when we recorded The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, that's just something I've always been excited to do, that, that take on that song. Mm-hmm. Dream a Little Dream in My Room was really fun to approach. It wasn't drastically different from 
the original, it still has that kind of thoughtful, introspective, slightly melancholy, dreamy, a little haunting quality, which worked well both thematically and sonically for us. I think Inchworm uh, was the only one I wasn't familiar with beforehand. I don't think I've ever heard that one. That's one of those songs. For me, I'm super familiar with it. It's, it's like the ABCs for me. Like Ever <laughs> since I was a kid, I watched the movie Hans Christian Andersen and Danny Kaye sang the song, and I've always been really intrigued and, and loved when the two parts of the song overlap, the part that's the math problems, um, which the kids sing. And the kids sing it with Danny Kay in the movie as well. We wanted to do that, which could come off as being kind of a kiddie, kind of childy, child type of thing. But it's really just more of a texture and um, a feeling, again, a little bit haunting, a little bit like thinking about the past more than kids singing. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just so familiar to me that I was excited to do that. But yeah, for my collaborators, they, they didn't really know the song and they thought, oh my gosh, it's so weird when... All of a sudden, these voices are overlapping, and the melody is really strange. No, it's cool. But, yeah. Yeah, for me, it was kind of commonplace. Yeah. But I, I was excited to do that song, too, because also, you know, then you link together the standards, which I associate, I think of that as like a standard. You can connect the dots with that, and A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, which is from Cinderella, mm-hmm. which feels a little kitschy, because it's a very old-timey song, and we did it with a celeste which is very magical, Disney-sounding instrument. I mean, that's golden era Disney right there. That's, that's like, yeah. you know, when the songs, like every song they wrote was just this, and I'll use the word magical, it seems like cliche when you're talking Disney, but every song but they it, wrote it was. Was, it was. It was super magical. Yeah, the lyrics about, you know, your dreams and that you can, you can make your dreams come true and, your, you know, these, like, bright visions of your dreams coming true just because you're having them. Um, and then also the instrument selection. And then you also have songs, you know, we go into a little bit warmer place with Ooh Child, which is a different era as well. And even though it's kind of, um, it's, it's done in a lullaby way, we did try to pick up on the subdivision of the rhythm with the drums. And we got an amazing drum player, Jay Bellarose, to play with us, who um, over the last three years I've seen him play with. I met him when he, play, when he started off playing with Paula Cole. They were both at Berkeley together. And then... Um, I've seen him play with Ray LaMontagne and Robert Plant and all kinds of people. So he just has such a, 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 an amazing vocabulary when he's playing as far as bringing out the traditional sides of some of the drum beats, but then adding something a little bit different and a new approach as well. There are two originals on here as well with uh, Close Your Eyes and Lullaby Girl. Were they written specifically with this set of mine? Or, or... Actually, Close Your Eyes was, was written, we sat down with a list of songs that we wanted to record or that we thought we had a longer list, but we started paring it down and we, we really wanted to write some ourselves. And at the time we were still thinking um, along the lines of standards. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to write something that sounded like a standard, which is why we chose certain images. And again, it was um, not geared towards kids. It was just right. trying to write sort of more of a standard song. And then we were going to write another one. And I thought, you know what? I recorded a song or I wrote a song with my friend Cliff, who I collaborate with a lot. And we, I, had, I was visiting Nashville. Um, it might have even been around that trip in Kentucky. It was a few years ago. It was, quite a, it was like probably within the last five years. And um, I got to Nashville, and I went to go visit Cliff's studio, my friend Cliff Goldmacher's studio, mm-hmm. uh, just to check it out. And, and we thought, huh, we should write a song. We, we, I was going to look at the, I was going to look at the studio, and then, and then I decided to um, call my daughter and wish her good night back in Los Angeles, and I thought, you know, we should write a song. We're in the studio. So we wrote a song right in that moment of me just wishing my young daughter goodnight and that sort of sweet, again, melancholy, intimate moment, and that was Lullaby Girl. And so I said, you know, we should 
look at that song. And it, and it fit really well also within the album concept. It's funny, the, the words I have written under, under the song on my notes here is, it fits really well. <laughs> <laughs> because I, when I heard these, uh, when I heard the album, I heard it as a whole, and and I wasn't reading the liners at that point. So all I assumed was these were other covers that you were doing; they were standards, and I didn't know the difference. They could have been. They sounded, you know, as as all the rest of the songs. And you talk about wanting to write songs with that in mind, them being standards, and and both of these, like you knocked it out of the park on that. They both. Oh, that's sound, so cool. Yeah. We also, I think, the placement, especially since you listen to them in in um, in order. When we place the songs, I always like there to feel like there's a variety of songs on a record. But um, part of the placement of the songs, Lullaby Girl comes comes near all the Pretty Little Horses, which has a little bit of a a little bit of a not country, but kind of Americana feeling about it. Mm-hmm. And Lullaby Girl is kind of bridging that gap between a standard and, and like a song that you'd hear from the '70s, maybe a James Taylor song, and a and a standard, you know. Right. Um, so that's sort of where we placed it on the record as well. Oh, there's such nice songs, and I loved your performance uh, on TV the other night too. So it was probably a couple oh, weeks ago at this point. So speaking of uh, online, though, I, I didn't want to get out of here without uh, bringing up uh, 20 Years of Firecracker. I saw that you were uh, celebrating yeah. that as well. And yes. because it was last time we talked, I think that was the anniversary of of, uh, of Reality Bites. And I oh thought, of course, now the anniversaries will just keep coming. That's I know. You know, I just asked my assistant who helps me with some of the social media stuff. I said, well, you got to get all these all these uh, anniversaries together because it's fun to celebrate, you know, when songs hit, have, used to hit the charts or, you know, when they were on the radio or whatever the, you know, there's a lot of different things to celebrate. So we got to keep a handle on all that. I was kind of wondering, you know, as you, as you look back on that, and I don't know if you have looked back on that much, you know, 20 years ago with Firecracker, is there anything that comes to mind? Because... I know that was sort of like the big follow-up. I mean, there was probably a lot of importance put on that, maybe. No, that was a really big deal. I, I was, um, you know, it's funny, I still look at albums that way. I'm working on a new grown-up record now, and but at the same time, you know, still I want people to hear The Lullaby Girl, and things go by much more quickly now. There's, there's, you know, with the internet and digital media and the ability to get songs without having to drive to the record store or hear it on the radio. But but I feel I feel like as a musician, it, the songs still need more time to exist and breathe before the next round of songs or events or whatever people are focusing on comes next. So I've been listening back to Firecracker and I, I it was kind of still almost like a freshman record for me because I still had songs on there that I'd written before I got signed to the record deal as well as new songs. I, I always wanted to put the, some of those songs on a major label record. And so when I first started making records when I was like in college, I started writing songs a lot long, earlier before that, but I started making you know full-length records in college with my friend Liz Mitchell. We had a band. And um, that's when I first started doing it. And I would sort of, as, as soon as we collected enough songs to make a record, we would make a next record. And so it, it's like some of those songs were still from the collection of songs of the prior record. And then we wrote new, I wrote new songs. And so um, it still felt very fresh and, and new. And I was really excited about putting an orchestra on a bunch of the songs. And I did have a, a weird deal with the song I Do, which ended up being the single, mm-hmm. I, I thought I was done with the record. And then the record company did that old thing where they tell me, oh, there's no single. You've got to go back and write songs, basically. Right. And I was so annoyed. Um, I, thought, I thought everything was there. And it was really annoying to hear the record company say that, especially after having the success with the song Stay. And I always feel like I, I know better. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I know better. I know how to make records. Uh, I don't need like a record company man telling me what to do. But so I, I went ahead and, and took the challenge and I sat and I wrote I Do and that ended up being the single. 
I still don't know if it's because the song was better than anything else or just because they decided that was a single. Um, but anyway, that was, that was the song, and that was the song that was promoted, and that was the song that went on the radio. Um, and it's about the record company. Oh, it's so funny. You know, you don't hear it, but I do. You don't hear a single, but I do. And that's what that's about. And so it's funny that that was the single. I think that's happened a few times in rock history, and every single time, that's it's hilarious. You know the way that works out. Yeah, I'm trying to. There was one from the '70s. I can't think of what it is. And then I know I was listening well, to the Nelson radio one day. Did that one time, but of course he he did it in a way that they couldn't play it. Like, oh, you want oh. me to write a radio single? <laughs> right. F you. you know, so. Yeah, exactly. This this was like, I, I just was like, okay, what is a radio single? It's something with broad concepts, something you know, with broad uh, sentiment, like you know, everybody feels this way, that kind of thing chord progression that comes easily to my fingertips, which that chord progression was one of those types of chord progressions. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write a song like this. And then, of course, that's the song that, that does become the single. And I, it's funny, I heard Sarah Bareilles' song, I'm Not Going to Write You a Love Song. And I heard that and immediately I thought, I bet this is about the record company asking her to write a love song. <laughs> and it turns out it is. That's what that song is about. That's amazing. Hidden in plain sight. Uh, yeah, anything that can give you strong emotions, though, I will say it did teach me that it doesn't necessarily matter where the emotions come from. Mm -hmm. You can write a, it, it, that's the best place to tap in is even if, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be what it seems to be, you know, it, it can, it, but it's good when it comes from someplace strong. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that record has aged extremely well and you can't say that about every record that's been around for 20 years. So uh, thank you. Well, it was really important to me and to my co-producer Juan Patino. Um, we were huge fans of like, Steely Dan and all these bands that were the classic that took every single note and every breath and every beat very, very seriously. So we were trying to, uh, that was sort of our world. And I'm glad that it's held up. That makes me feel good. And I love this new one, too. Uh, I can say the same thing about Lullaby Girl. I really enjoyed listening to it so far, and I'm sure I'm not done with it yet. So. Oh, good. Well, continue to spread the word. I really appreciate it. Will do. Thank you so much, Lisa. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you guys in Louisville again sooner than later. Yep. Come back anytime. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks a lot. Lisa Loeb from a 2017 interview discussing that record Lullaby Girl and the 20th anniversary at that point of the Firecracker record. Now, part three takes us all the way back to 2014. Lisa had made a stop in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky here and had been spending that, uh, that tour, at least the last few months of that tour, celebrating the 20th anniversary of her breakout song, Stay, I Missed You, and the moment it hit number one on the charts. So we got to revisit the era of Reality Bites, find out what the guy from that song is up to, as well as her career on TV, and plenty more. It's part three of Kyle Meredith with Lisa Loeb. Hi. How are good. you? I'm good. How are you? It's, I'm great. It's great good. to see you here. Thank you. It's great, to, it's great to see you. I know this whole year has kind of been like, uh, I don't know, it's an anniversary year for you. Yes. For is. better or for worse, because there's nothing that really reminds you of time like an anniversary. I, I love anniversaries. I like celebrating. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so what we're talking about here at 1994, you know, the big single stage changes the world. Definitely changed your world, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the 20th anniversary of Stay going to number one yeah. on the charts, yeah. which is really exciting. I can't believe it's been 20 years. It has been. Do, do, do you ever feel like, though, because of, because of that song was so big and it's still, just, I mean, I'm sure the royalties are still there on that song because it's still ev everywhere on radio and everything. Does it ever seem like you have to be tied to that decade? Maybe at times you don't want to because it, people associate you and that song and that movie, right. Reality Bites, with that moment. 
and that feels like it would be always there, like pulling on you. Well, it's always there, but I wouldn't say it's like pulling on me in a negative way. It's more, I think as a musician, especially now that I've been doing this for over 20 years, I mean, that was when the song was on the radio, but I've been doing this for such a long right. time, even before that, that um, I think I appreciate the fact that there is even that one song that people really connect to. And um, I know there's, there's bands that I listen to that I have certain songs that I connect to. Sometimes it's multiple albums, which of course is, is the best, but right. um, even having a song or two songs or three songs that someone connects to, um, that makes them continue to be interested in you know, what I'm doing now, it's awesome. I mean, I have so many friends who are musicians, and um, it, it's it's a it's an interesting business. You know, it's interesting to be able to get out there. It's it, everything is a little bit different now because you have a little bit more uh, direct contact with fans and ability to really get out there on your own independently, uh, which works well for me. I've always been sort of independent like that. But even still, with that, it helps to have something extra. And having a song on the radio at all ever is just an amazing experience. Like it's literally enabled me to travel around the world uh, and connect with so many people. It's incredible. But I, I guess I just hear about some artists who are like, um, you know, w when you haven't made it, yeah. and you're like, man, I would love that one hit. And then you hear about some of the artists who get that hit, and they start to resent it because they never, you know, quite reached that height. And you've had great songs throughout your entire career, but I know for a lot of people, they do. They resent their hit. You know? That's a sad way to live. <laughs> it's a very sad way to live. Yeah. So, so you never really had to deal with any of that? Like, you never got to that part like, well, I've got to play Stay Again tonight. No, I, I totally am so great, grateful for my fans who really want to hear that song. And there's, there's a handful of other songs they always really want to hear too. Um, I, again, it's just such a great connector. It's such a great way to connect to an audience. Um, people have really great memories associated with it. Some of them are sad memories, but they have strong memories associated with it. And sometimes it's a combination of sad and humorous, like all their seventh grade girlfriends used to all sing this song at slumber parties. Or, um, you know, you saw it, you see it. It really stood out to me when I saw the way they used it in the, in the TV show, Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. There right. was a very sentimental side to it and very sweet side that all these women were brought together and they all had a, a memory of the song. At the same time, it was kind of humorous because here they are in prison, you know, where time has stood still in a way, um, wearing their orange jumpsuits. And but it, but also then you bring it comes back to that sentimental thing again, where it's like wow, like these are people from all different places and they really connect on the song. So I don't know. For me, I just I appreciate it so much. I think maybe I've seen some of those musicians too. I, I can't name any in particular right, off, right. offhand, but I've seen people who resent their hits who resent the things that actually got them to connect with people in the first place. And that just doesn't seem like, doesn't seem fair to the songs, it doesn't seem fair to themselves like to live such a negative life surrounding something that should be a celebration, you know? And you can see how you've embraced it. I mean, the last record you put out, you had a song called The 90s on it. Yeah, and it's about how I love the 90s. I don't want to go back, but I love the 90s. I love talking about it, looking at pictures about it, you know, talking about memories. I, again, like I talk to lots of fans after shows and they tell me all the things that happened to them when they were little or when they were in college listening to the song, you know? Do you ever go back to, I mean, um, you know, it's kind of famously about a breakup with a boyfriend. Right. And do, do you know where that boyfriend is nowadays? You, you guys no, actually, it wasn't a breakup, it was an argument. And, and okay. he and I are really good friends. I just went to his wedding. Um, we worked together for years and, and um, so yeah. It's his anniversary too. Yeah, it's, it is his anniversary. We actually celebrated the 20th anniversary of the song going to number one. Oh. So it was something we worked on together. We had been recording together forever and we dated for many, many years. Yeah. So, so beyond that, okay, so we got that part. You have become this amazing entrepreneur. 
for your career. Uh, you know, so there are the records, then you do the kids' records. You take over television. You had wow. two. Well, you had, had two. two TV shows yeah, it's hard enough to get one. I mean, anybody yeah. pitching a, a show, you know, you have to go through the ringers just to get it on the TV, and you end up having yeah. two of them. When did it become a thing where you said, "I don't have to just be a musician"? Or maybe it was even a thing where he's like, if I want to survive as a musician in the 2000s, you have to do more, because I think you do have to do more. I think it was just, I felt like in the, er, in the early 90s when I started out, there was such a stigma about doing things other than your main job. Like if you wanted to act or there was some other project you were interested in, people sort of looked at you as a dilettante and they didn't take your music seriously. Now things have totally changed and you see most musicians have lots of things they're interested in you know some people are varying levels of, of like huge success with other projects they're doing but now you know uh, we, like we were in Detroit the other day and an old friend who I knew from New York City in the in the olden days he has three restaurants that's awesome back in the 90s you might think like oh I don't know like you'd see those behind the scenes VH1 shows you're like they opened a flower store like I don't know about that now it's like amazing like you can have a bunch of businesses and do whatever you love at a certain point Opportunities kept coming up, and I kept looking for things that I wanted to do. Um, like with my Food Network show, I had put a record out called Cake and Pie. And I had a friend who was a chef um, in Arizona, and we thought it would be really hilarious to do a live show. I, I was working with Dweezil Zappa at the time and dating him. And we thought it would be hilarious to play music and then have a pie oven roadie. And he would be on stage and then make pie. And it would be a food demo and a music thing. And we would do this live and then give people a taste of the thing that we had made, and they'd hear music, it would be like a full sensory experience. And the record company was like, eh, they didn't want to put any money into it. And it was crazy, so we went, and um, one of our agents at the time had a relationship with um, a production company who'd worked with the Food Network. So we went into the Food Network and had a meeting and said, look, we've been doing this, it'd be awesome if you could plug this little event thing that we're doing into one of your shows. But instead, they were so enthusiastic about our enthusiasm for the Food Network, for learning about cooking, for restaurants, and how food fit into our lives, that they said, you guys should do a show. So it was just like following you know, what, what I love to do, and, um, and it's just continued in that way. Yeah. Is it, is it, could you see yourself doing TV again? Definitely, yeah. I really enjoy doing it. Yeah. It's really fun. I'm going to be doing some radio hosting and um, something I did back in high school. I had a radio show for three years. So. College radio? Um, high school radio, high school actually. Radio. Yeah, FM radio. Okay. We had a high school FM radio station. Can't believe it. It's going to be taking my job. And I was like job. station manager. Yeah. I know. So I, I really enjoy doing that. I've done a kids radio show that I hosted kids authors. It was for grown-ups, but it was about kids um, and, and different age children's literature, and I interviewed authors. But this is going to be something I'm doing for Sirius XM. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, being an indie artist, like that, because that's where the story begins. You know, you were the indie artist who right. hit the top of the, the charts, and, and here you are, you're an indie artist in 2014, 20 years later. Similar or different? You know, it's really similar. It's, it's different in that it's not just about collecting names at the end of a show so you can send out little postcards to let them know where you are next. It's much more intense. And in a way, like right now, I'm sort of changing what I'm doing because of the way I'm able to get music to fans. For years I've been writing all these songs that don't end up on albums because they don't fit on a particular album. And they go by the wayside. But now I'm going to start, all the songs that I've been working on, I'm going to start putting out one at a time. And they might not all relate to each other, but they relate to how I am and what I'm doing at that moment. And because I'm always kind of on tour, it gives me the ability to play new songs whenever I'm playing live. So it keeps it fresh for me. I'm able to get the music out to people. And this is something we wouldn't have been able to do back in the day. Right. Like you'd have to, you know, make an actual CD or an a cassette tape. An actual single every single time, right? Yeah, now. and, and um, because we can record 
uh, a little bit more easily in, in some smaller studios, and, and people are used to playing more instruments. Like, again, it's fun to go in with the entire band into a real huge studio with a big drum sound, but you can get a lot done in a smaller space, just like we recorded today. Right, right. Look how it all comes back around. I know, well, it's all about like just continuing to do what you do and right. getting it out there and yeah, just trying to be on top of all the details. It's, it's a little tough because you have to be like an entire business and most of us don't have an entire office building. So. Yeah, but so beyond all that, I also read that you're going to be doing a musical. A yeah, kids I have a musical? kids musical. Yeah. Um, a, a musical the, or a theater company in Miami commissioned me to write a musical based on some of my kids' music from my album Camp Lisa. Mm -hmm. There was a song called Best Friend about when you first meet someone and you don't like them at all, and then eventually you get to be really good friends with them. So they commissioned a short play, and this guy named Marco Ramirez, who's a playwright, um, wrote the play, and my friends Michelle Lewis and Dan Petty and I wrote all the music. And they put it up for a couple of years, and now we have additional writers um, rewriting, they just finished rewriting the play, and we wrote some different songs, and it's being developed and put up in New York City at the Atlantic, uh, it's called the Atlantic, the Atlantic, or the Atlantic Playhouse, I don't know the exact name. That's it's exciting. It's at the Atlantic, and it's going to be up in the spring, yeah. yeah. wow. It's really great. And you've been working with other writers, I mean, you're talking about working with other writers right now, I know yeah. the last record has some co-writes with uh, Maya Sharp. Oh yeah, right, uh, Maya. Yeah, great one there. Uh, it, was that new for you? Was co-writing new for you? Is that something? It was because like you're for still me. messing with the formula, I yeah. guess, of songwriting of how you do mm -hmm. it. I still have this voice inside of me which I've had forever, which is I want to do it all myself. But in reality, I was I was I had the opportunity to collaborate. Um, I went to Cuba for a songwriting um, thing where every day you wrote. Well, actually, we had two different writing sessions during the week. One of them was with Burt Backrack, who's one of the guys I got to write with. Wow. I know. Um, and then another one was with a, a Cuban musician. And, and it, was, it was interesting. Both sessions went really differently, but it was, it was an interesting foray into collaborating. But then what really helped was I was invited to go write at Miles Copeland's castle. And that's Stuart Copeland from The Police. His brother is a manager. And he puts together these great songwriting um, weeks where there's artists professional songwriters, people from different publishing companies, and every day you're paired up with two other writers, um, kind of and you write a song a day. Yeah, yeah, and you write a song a day and you record it, and then you all play it while you sit and eat dinner and drink wine. So I was there with my friend David Poe and Duncan Cheek, and Maya Sharp was there, Keith Urban was there, um, Kami Lyle, I don't know, just all these different musicians. Sometimes Cher is there, I wasn't there unfortunately when Cher was there, or Carly Simon, but I, it was amazing. One day was really tough. The next day was really easy. The next day, I wrote with this guy Paul Thorne. We wrote the song in like thirty yeah. minutes. It was called Porno Magazine. It's an awesome song. That sounds exactly like a Paul Thorne. It was song totally right a Paul, and it was so much fun to write. And it was so quick, and we just did it. Um, does he stop and tell stories the entire time, like he does on stage? Because he's a good storyteller. Um, he's just great to hang out with. Yeah. I don't know. He's really sweet, and yeah. he's just a little over the top, and he's he's just so earnest and yeah. hilarious. But so that really. I was like, wow, I wrote seven songs or Just five like songs or whatever in a week. It could've, that could have taken me like six months yeah. by do, myself. Do you see a difference in the quality? I see... Like something that you really um, can, can fret over and depends. everything. It yeah. depends. Sometimes the quality isn't as good because really, sometimes with collaborations, especially when you plan to write a song and be done by the end of the day, sometimes it's not as well edited or, I don't know, sometimes it, it doesn't come out quite right. It's not bad, it's just... It's a seed. It, it's, it's, it's like a quilt. It's, okay. It doesn't feel like a, like a song. It's not like 
put together exactly. Other times, it doesn't matter that it's been done in a day. But that's such a big lesson for me as a songwriter, because like I can, you know, overthink a song to death. And sometimes, usually, those are the songs people don't connect to as well anyway. So it just reminds me to keep writing. And like recently, I'm, I'm working with a band called Imagination Movers, who's a kid's band that we watched on TV, on Disney. They're great. They remind me of like the police, kind of. Like they're really, like a real band. My daughter got me into them. Um, we connected on Twitter and we started working on a song together. And it's awesome, like it's, it's the way they write together, these three out of the four guys were there and the way they write is so different than, I've been working with some other people in Los Angeles, and, or this guy Cliff Goldmacher and I wrote a couple songs, one that's coming out soon called Light, and everybody just works really differently. And it's such a relief to be able to, to get out of my house and my daily business and all the stuff I have to do and just be able to sit down and, and focus really hard for three, four hours, a couple of times and write a song and, and learn about another person's process and songwriters, we get to hang out and talk, yeah. just hang out and talk and like, it's kind of like being in a bar but not like you can actually hear each other and, and it's just very connecting which is nice and you end up with this song and then again like when you're not talking about making albums that it's like this album or nothing, right. you know, and, and then you're gonna not gonna put another album out for two years. Like it's less precious, but it's just very connected. I don't know, it's really a cool thing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, 20 plus years in your, into your career, it's gotta be nice to find all of these different types of inspirations. So. Yeah, and, and it's sort of like growing up too, because I'm, I'm less, although I still write on my own, I'm, I'm less, I'm learning to be less like egocentric about it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like, it's okay, you know, I listen to all kinds of bands. I don't care if there's five writers or one writer. I, I still was listening to Elton John yesterday and I couldn't believe, I was like, wow, he, he didn't write these words. Yeah, that's all Bernie, It sounds right? like yeah. it's him, it's, and it's like, I don't care. I mean, it blows my mind as a, as a creative person, it blows my mind that there he is as a performer singing this song, but we don't care as listeners. Sure. It, it's, it's an interesting fact, but we don't really, Care. We just want to hear the song. Right. Good song's a good song. And I can't wait to hear all the rest of the good songs that you're about to put out. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know you're a Cowboys fan, right? Yes. How are they going to do this here? 9 and 4 I so far. I think they're doing really well, right? Uh, nine of, yeah, they're, they they're, just they're, won the other day. So. I don't follow them as much as I should, but they're my team. They're America's team. <laughs> they could Cowboys. be your team. Yeah, they're America's team. Lisa, it's so great to meet you. Thank you. To talk to you. And thanks for stopping by. Thank you. I appreciate all it. Right. And that wraps up the three-part interview set here with Lisa Loeb, that one from the 2014 era. Again, the new record is called A Simple Trick to Happiness. Thanks to you for checking out the interview, especially if you made it all the way to the end. I do hope before you get out of here, if you're not already a subscriber to the series, we've given you more than enough reasons to do so. Hit that subscribe button right now so you can keep up with all of the new interviews. Also, give the series a, a rating, uh, leave a review if you feel so inspired as well, or just a, a hi, hello in the comment box or what you dug about the interview. After that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, that's WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can find me on any social media platform, at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's like when I was late once to my friend's party in Santa Monica, but there was no traffic, so I had to like brag about how there was no traffic. <laughs> and how it took me 15 minutes, but I was still late, but it was like a rabbi getting the hole-in-one on a Saturday. It was still not right. <laughs>
It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.